0: Hello, Green Rush Nation. It's that time of year where we round up the hosts and let them all commiserate, celebrate, bicker, and pontificate on the year that was 2022. In this episode, hosts Anne Donahoe, Phil Carlson, Chris Crane, and Louis Goldberg look back on what turned out to be a very strange and eventful year. They explore what the heck happened to safe banking, and ribs Chris about Joe Biden being the savior of cannabis, and the team talks about what they are most looking forward to in the new year. So sit back and enjoy this season's hostful episode.
1: Welcome to the hostful episode of The Green Rush. It's been a really, really long time uh, since we have done our KCSA roundtable, um, And I'm so excited to be joined by my awesome colleagues, um, Phil Carlson, head of IR uh, for KCSA. Head of IR, did I just promote you? Managing Director of IR, Chris Crane, our Director of Cannabis, uh, and Lewis Goldberg, the Managing Partner um, and Head Honcho of the group. So welcome, everybody. I'm excited to talk to you guys today and you know want this conversation to kind of flow. So we have an outline, um, but I have no hopes that we're going to get through it all knowing this group. Uh, but I think let's just start with a vibe check. Um, MJ BizCon can be seen as, as somewhat of an indicator of what's to come. Phil was there with our colleague, Nick, who's not able to join us today, but can you give us a general vibe of, of what it was like there?
2: So it's, a, it's, a I hope it's not a general indicator. Um, uh, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was much quieter this year than in years past, you know? It, it, yeah. I guess less people were going to the floor, you know, more investors were taking meetings in their hotel rooms as were bankers and companies, but You know, it it was it was quite quiet, but the the, everybody seemed to be upbeat and you know running around. You know, unlike a recent crypto event I went to where uh, (laughs) our other colleague (laughs) termed it the the, the last days of disco. But um, it was uh, yeah, you know, there was a lot of growing pains this year. Well, not just growing pains; it's just there was a lot of hiccups, a lot of false starts. You know, I'm sure we'll be getting to safe banking in a little bit, but you know people did seem upbeat it was just very low key
0: i guess i don't know right. and i wish you would have been there with me would you would you say it was it was not an irrationally exuberant crowd but rather like run of the mill like okay cannabis has gone from being like this oh my god look at all what's going to happen to okay we're growing we're processing we're selling we're growing we're processing we're selling and there's no like anticipation of the next big thing well,
2: no, there's, I, I gotta be honest, there was a lot of it. what seemed like first timers that were there and they all seemed to be, oh, this is great. And, you know, I didn't want to say, hey, you're late to the party, but. You know, there is still opportunity out there for a number of these newer players, but, you know, the older guard, you didn't really see them out on the floor, but I guess, to, I guess, to be fair, like you don't really ever see the
3: old guard out on the floor as much, right? Like they're, they're always the ones in the hotel rooms and uh, in the hotel lobbies and in the chandelier bar at the, you know, at the, at the, at the Cosmo, right. Doing the meetings there. I, I feel like the floor is kind of for the newbies more. Um, and for some of the sort of the mid-level staffers that are there to like find vendors and find
2: partners and, uh, you know, walk the floor. And, you know, that There's kind of still stuff. some old guard that was, that was there. It was just like, not like you had seen in years past, but yeah, it, it, there were definitely, a lot of newbies there and it was uh they seemed upbeat you know but given the fact that we've been in this industry since 2014 we've seen these roller coaster rides and you know where we're at today and it's
0: like when is this going to change i don't think it's gonna change though right like the reality is this is a slow progression now it it, it... You know, in 2012, when we saw the first adult use states come on, you know, get, get get passed, there was this unbelievable burst of enthusiasm. And then it's just been this, like, slow, inexorable crawl across the country. And, you know, we're now just picking off smaller states. There's no – there's only one big state that's really left to to join the party which is texas right Florida's still uh, uh, florida still ohio pennsylvania and ohio
3: ohio pennsylvania and florida or, i mean yeah look at presidential elections right i mean these are these are big states both uh, both, both both metaphorically and like geographically like they're they're literally big states
0: <laughs> yes no you're right you're right and is there any assumption that we will not see Florida, Ohio, and Pennsylvania eventually go, and eventually being in the next four or five years go adult use, or is this like ten years? Like Texas, who the hell knows what's going to happen in Texas? But the Texas rest is of a tough states, one, yeah, right. But like the, these
3: other states,
0: it's going to yeah, happen.
3: Florida, Florida. I mean, <laughs> we get into the political weeds here, right? Florida is a little bit politically tricky because you need 60% uh, to win a ballot initiative in Florida. Um, so, and, and it's a very expensive state to run initiative processes. You imagine you have a bunch of media markets, right? You got Miami, Orlando, Jacksonville, um, and so there, uh, Tampa, right? So you've got a bunch of media markets. So it's expensive to run and you have to get to 60. And I think, I think the conventional wisdom was that that was going to happen in 2024, I think the uh, results in 2022 and the losses in places like Arkansas and um you know the two halves of Dakota um are are maybe a little bit of an ominous sign for whether it's worth putting all that money and effort into Florida in 24 um So it's it's a little tough to say. I think Ohio Ohio will have an initiative in 24 if they don't pass it before then. Pennsylvania becomes a little tricky, too, because it has to go by the legislature. And you've got a very gerrymandered state with Republican control um, of the legislature and a Democratic governor, and they're not going to want to give him a win. Um, But at the same time, like once Ohio goes, Pennsylvania is going to be surrounded by legal states. Um, And it gets very difficult for them to just see all that tax revenue flow into Ohio, flow into New York, into New Jersey, um, right, and all around it that even a Republican legislature with a Democratic governor might find a way to do this in the next four years there.
0: And and Phil that's what you know going back to MJ BizCon like that's why there probably wasn't that like crazy feel that was when we were going 15, 16, 17, 18 you know where like it was just this frenetic energy you know was there that same kind of energy anywhere there? No and that's because uh, you know I think everybody was
2: realizing that safe banking was like on the ropes. And, you know, there was a few different, there were a few different networking parties that we went to and it was just like, you would try to engage somebody on it. And they would just be like, listen, I'm, I'm shot. <laughs> and you were like, Oh, okay. Well, we can talk about this later. But I <laughs> that's the general sense. Like it feels like,
1: let me buy you a drink.
2: yes here's three um but that's just like the general sense that you're getting from a lot of these investors that you know they're tired they've seen the same song and dance but you know when you get there is optimism that once 280 goes away whenever that is hopefully it's sooner rather than later you know if it happens within the next two years like you're it's five to seven, you know, five x seven x on your return on these investments, but it's like the well, few institutions that are involved right now, they're like, do I even want to bury more money into this industry? You know, or do I? You know, but they. I mean, wait. There yes, is the. I'm sorry. There is, the, you know, there there is hope. It's just that uh, I'm waiting for that light at the end of the tunnel.
1: So we talked about, you know, a couple of states here, but from a a federal standpoint, um, you know, cannabis was front and center from the White House twice this year. Um, And I think, you know, while it may be seen as performative or, you know, not going far enough, um, I, I think it's interesting that someone like Joe Biden you know, came out with his marijuana reform announcement in October and recently, like a couple weeks ago, signed the cannabis research bill. Um, Chris, do you think that could you have imagined Joe Biden (laughs) being this, quote unquote, cannabis savior?
3: Well, let's let's not get carried away. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, i teed you
1: up there i was like waiting yes, for your let, like let, the yeah, steam yeah, to come yeah, out yeah, of yeah. your ears yeah
3: i mean yes pardoning a few hundred people and, and signing a research bill in 2022 is uh you know is hardly hardly being a marijuana champion these days but it's look, it is coming from joe biden of all people it is significant progress right i don't want to like just i don't want to be too cynical and well no it. white
1: house has done any has ever no, 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 no! It's more—it's—it's more, it's, it's
3: more yeah. than any White House has done, absolutely. And you got to give—you got to give the Biden White House credit for it. I think what it tells me is less about how Biden feels about this. He, I think he still hates it. Um, just, I mean, if you were to, if, like, if you were to, if you were to if you were to get him to give, like, a totally honest answer in, like, in his heart of hearts, right, at his core, I just don't, I, I still don't think he
1: likes the issue. He's a drug he warrior. Yeah, he's a drug he's warrior. He's always been a drug warrior. Yeah,
3: yeah. He's, a, he's a prosecutor's guy and, and, and a law enforcement guy and whatever, like, that's who he is. I think the fact that Biden made this announcement, particularly the part—the pardon and, and scheduling review announcement at the timing that he did, says so much about the politics of this issue that Joe Biden, President Joe Biden of all people, felt that making an announcement about positive cannabis reform, meaningful cannabis reform, weeks before a... Hugely important midterm election, um, right? Says that they know that this issue is something that motivates the Democratic Party base in particular. That it's that it's popular among independents. And that they saw it as something that was going to be that they thought would be helpful to them in a midterm. Like, I don't think the timing of that was in any way coincidental. I think it was very political and that even Joe Biden felt that and the need to do something on cannabis uh, in, in order to
0: help his party in a midterm election. And that's that shows real progress. And I, I just want a couple things. One, I completely agree about the politics of this, you know, at, at his core. President Biden is a purely political animal. You can say what you want about how old he is or anything else. This is a guy who navigated a very, very crowded and tough primary field and did it purely from a political perspective. The other side, you know, when we talk about his position as a drug warrior, you know, when I look at him, I see him as the father of an addict. it's easy to dismiss all of the Hunter Biden stuff out there and say, oh, it's politics and it's all the other bullshit. As a dad myself, I look at Hunter as a really, really sick human. And Joe may not be able to see the difference between cannabis and cocaine or any of the other drugs and that he still may, may buy into the gateway component of it. I don't know the answer, but I do look at him as saying, my son is sick and suffering. He is a consumer of all, not just like he, he. Hunter did it all. He didn't just do coke or just do whatever, and he probably can't separate that in his mind because he does come from the the drug warrior time. You know, he got into Congress right. Uh, in the '70s, when we were deep in the the Nixonian, you know, uh, controlled substance act rhetoric, and he probably just doesn't see the difference, but he was able to see through it and and see it as good politics. But I guess my only
3: pushback on that is like he's been a hardcore drug warrior since since Hunter Biden was in diapers. Um, so, I mean, I I I think you make a valid point, but. Hunter Biden is not the core of his belief on this. That goes way back before Hunter's issues with, with any kind of substances.
0: It was good politics in the 70s to be anti-drug, and it was good politics in the 80s to be anti-drug, and it's been good politics up until now to be anti-drug, and now you can layer in the, oh shit, my son is sick, as a, uh, an emotional component to it, right? He's a purely political guy. It's true, but there's
3: some, there was there was yes, it was good politics at the time, but it didn't mean he had to be the champion, and he was the champion of drug war policies. Like lots of Gem- lots of Democrats went along with it and voted for it and
0: and said the rhetoric, but like he was the he was the guy you went to to get a bill sponsored, a hundred percent, and. He ran—the first time he ran for president was 1988. It's not like he hasn't always had his eye on this prize. And he probably believed for 40 years that one of the ways to get to the White House was to be tough on crime. And the easiest crime there is to be tough on is drugs. It's easy to demonize people who consume because there's no pact for drug users until now, right? So the, the reality is he, he took an expedient course. And then you layer on the fact of his, his child. And it's like, I can tell you from my experience that the impact of drugs is a scourge on society. And I have been like, it's an easy, it's an easy story for him to tell, to hold on to. And now this pivot hopefully will accelerate. I doubt it, but I hope. Like, there is this little glimmer that he did two things, he didn't get beaten up, he actually got, you know, pats on the back from the political class, and he's like, oh, this is gonna help me possibly run again in 2024, let's keep going down this path. And that's, that's really hopeful.
1: Well, and he kind of did the same thing with, not kind of, with psychedelics too. So, and I know that we'll, we'll talk, you know, a little bit of psychedelics later, but, you know, he is basically, you know, blessing and, you know, anticipating um, that regulators will approve MDMA and and maybe psilocybin for, um, you know, PTSD, depression. Um, And he's, he's, he's certainly done a 180 on that. I mean, he, he also, you know, was, was really tough on MDMA in the, 80s i guess it was um, no so, in the 2000s in the in 2000s the-
3: he was the sponsor of the he was the sponsor of the rave act in like 2001 oh, what, okay. yes, yes, one yes. or 2002 i didn't realize it was
1: that recent yeah yeah yeah. yeah. i was yeah. working at
3: normal at the time he's he yeah he was he was the champion of the rave act that's in the right, senate the which went act. after it went after concert promoters mm-hmm. if, if if people were like concert promoters if people were selling mdma in in, in at their venues which is just just crazy yeah, so, I mean they, I
1: guess to your to all of your points, he's a political guy and he's reading the room. He
0: is he is following the Clintonian triangulation course. Um you know, the question you asked Phil though uh, at the beginning of this conversation was how is the feeling? Phil from an investor perspective, you know, the it's been two plus years since the cannabis industry has just been annihilated from a a share price perspective. Is there any hope? I know you're well aware. I'm well aware. All of us (laughs) are well aware. You know, one, did you feel any hope that there would be a pivot or a change in the coming year and putting aside uh, what you heard, what do you think? Is there, is there hope? (laughs) Um,
2: Judge, you know, if I had to like take the networking parties, I would say there is no hope. Um, no, I'm kidding. But um <laughs> I, I there are there there will be, you know, I think it's it's gonna be longer than people anticipate. Um, you know, there are some that still think safe banking is going to pass here in the next two weeks.
1: Well, let's, let's get into that then, because, you know, that's the elephant in the room other than Lewis's hairband is the safe banking act. (laughs) Um, and you know, what, what's happening there? Um, you know, the, there, there, it seems to be a little bit more Lucy in the football. So Chris, um, you know, based on what, you know, marijuana moment is reporting today, um, that there might be, you know, room for this in 2023. Um,
3: Oh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but even if there is, I was trying cares?
1: to lighten it. Phil was like so negative and I'm like, let's, let's, let's pivot.
3: Really? We're really talking 20, like pushing safe banking to 2023. I mean, when, when, the, when, when the Democrats won control of the Senate in Georgia, um, in January of 2021, right. Almost two years ago now. And that was the last time we saw the stocks rebound, right. I mean, we saw a huge spike when the Democrats took control of the, of the Senate in, in January, 2021, it's because the assumption was, and, and I'm as, as I was as guilty as this is anyone. I think I said on this podcast, certainly on marijuana today, um, that our worst case scenario for the next two years is safe banking. Right. And that, and, and here we are with, two weeks left in the session and it's still not done and it's looking like it's probably not going to get done. Um, although there, is, there is still a chance that this happens in the next Stop. time. I don't want to, no, I don't, I, I don't <laughs> want to poo poo this. No, no, no.
2: You're it, drinking the Kool-Aid it's-
3: I'm not I'm not saying it will. I'm by no means saying it will. But I am saying from everything that I'm hearing in D.C., this is not done yet. Right. This is still like the text. The text of the omnibus is still being debated. Um, They just worked through an issue with Department of Justice. That was a big holdup for Senator Pat Toomey um, about uh, about about uh, money laundering through depository accounts or cannabis businesses. And apparently they worked through that hurdle with DOJ. The hurdle right now is Mitch McConnell. Um, and, and Mitch McConnell has been very, and that, and that's why I think, look, if I had to place a bet at this point, I think it's, it's probably won't pass, um, because McConnell's saying no poison pills in the omnibus. And, and he's very, made it very clear that he sees this as a poison pill. Paul
2: say that they had 60 votes. Like they had 60 votes, right? Like, didn't he say that recently? Mm, they, yeah, well, so here's the, here's the problem with
3: that. They have, they, 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 they almost, we almost certainly have 60 votes in the Senate for a standalone safe banking but I don't think we would get all sixty if a standalone came to came to a vote because McConnell is saying don't do it. And I don't. I think a number of folks that are inclined to vote for it would not do it if they have to go on an up or down vote and go against McConnell. I am going um, to
0: pee in the the punch right now. I don't care about safe banking. I just don't. It doesn't fundamentally change the economics of of cannabis companies. The 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 thing that will change. This is 280e, right? And well, and you need them both. I, I, it's not. Tr- need, I mean, it,
3: banking will have a real-world impact on the industry. Um, but I. But I think you're right, banking without 280e, is a, is quite literally a half measure. Um, but like, I'll take a half measure right now based on the like zero measure we have today I,
0: and how agreed in the, in the dumps. But, but this all these is not going to change the are. like if safe banking ha- happens. My guess is that we will see a very quick spike in the stock prices of these companies. It's not like we're going to see a, a change in access to, to to getting weed. It's not going to change any of that. We'll see a very quick bump. Then we'll start to see people recognize, OK, maybe this will lower the cost of capital somewhat. And free cash flow on the, for
2: these companies when 280 goes away. Right. But that's that's the the thing. You're right. That's the problem.
3: You're right. That's that's the issue here. The the free cash flow issue does not is not solved without getting rid of 280E. And that's that's why I don't. Can you
1: you uh, walk uh, people through what like what would it take to. to, It's a scheduling thing. Right. 280E. So if it is mm. rescheduled.
3: Or yes, not. that's, well, there's there's multiple ways that 280E can be fixed. I mean, the easiest one is, is cannabis has to be moved to a schedule, schedule three or lower. Um, schedule one or two is still subject to 280E. If it were moved to three or lower... That comes with its whole, a whole other host of potential problems and challenges, uh, which is why cannabis needs to be just removed from the Controlled Substances Act. It needs to be descheduled rather than rescheduled and treated similarly to alcohol, right? Put it under the under BATF, very similar to alcohol and tobacco. tobacco. Um, don't give it to the FDA. That'll be a nightmare. Uh, and that's a whole other conversation. Um, but yeah, so, so descheduling or rescheduling to three or below would solve 280E. They also could just pass a law saying that 280E doesn't apply to state-licensed cannabis businesses, right? And that would fix it, too, even without... That's the
0: easiest way to do it because that's you're th- asking for an act of Congress to reschedule or deschedule. And- well, but that would be an act of Congress, too. The Cong- Congress would have to pass a
3: law that, uh, that says that 280E doesn't apply to state-licensed cannabis businesses. I actually think that's a heavier lift than descheduling uh, at this point because Congress does not want to seem to give up on the tax revenue that they get, that the federal government gets from 280E without some sort of – uh, excise tax offset, and the problem is they're not inclined to in, to to enact a excise tax on a Schedule One substance, um, right? Because then that 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 creates all sorts of other legal challenges. Um, so I, I,
0: I couldn't the White House do an executive order to the IRS saying. Do not apply to ADE, to cannabis, and then let them, di- let them dispute it in the
3: courts, right? I and have if- been pushing for this solution, this very solution. I've gotten a ton of pushback on it, um, including whether it would actually, I mean, whether they're even able to do such a thing. But yes, I mean, my, my take, and I've been working, I won't mention who, but I've been working with a member of Congress, um, uh, like directly uh, from from my home, my, my well, my home state. I have a lot of them, my current home state. Um uh, on this specifically, and 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 trying to have a, a congressional letter sent to the administration, asking them to write a, uh, to to write a guidance memo, um, or encourage the 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 I guess in this case it would be the Treasury Department, um, to write a guidance memo that would be based on essentially the Cole memo and the the Treasury Treasury and FinCEN guidance memo around banking, saying that it's our interpretation that the two e should not apply to state licensed cannabis businesses. There seems to be no appetite for that. Um, what if, could a, could a, could it's about the revenue, which is short-sighted because I mean, I would make the argument that if they got rid of 280E, their revenue would, their net revenue coming to the federal government would increase because of, because of all of the capital flowing to the industry and, 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 and the jolt this would give to the industry, but they're not, they're just not buying it.
0: Could an MSO sue to say that this is unconstitutional?
3: Uh, I think that would be an unwise use of legal fees. Um, I, I don't think that suit would have a chance, chance in hell of standing. It's the it's it's the law, and it it's a schedule one. You you you, you would have to challenge the constitutionality of cannabis being a schedule one substance. As long as Congress has deemed that it's a schedule one, you can't say it's unconstitutional. It would be hard for them to say it's unconstitutional to uh, apply 280e to. A schedule one drug i mean look i'm saying this is a, my non-legal opinion but I, I i i would guess if we talked with a constitutional scholar about this they would say that's it's basically a non-starter
0: i forgot the what the the last clause of the constitution is where it says like hey if it's a state if it's a law in the state and it doesn't contravene a federal law then it's the 10th it federal- amendment yeah so it's, thank you it's a, like isn't this a 10th amendment issue fundamentally no,
3: the federal government. I mean, the Supreme Court has ruled on multiple occasions that the federal government has a ha- has the right and uh, and and an interest in um, in 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 drugs and drug policy. I mean, in fact, in, in fact, they. I mean, they went so they, they went the farthest on this in the uh, the v. Gonzalez case, um, which was the you know the last cannabis case to go before the Supreme Court, um, where the I mean, the argument was the federal government has no right to intervene in individual patients who are growing small amounts or possessing small amounts for their own medical use under a state licensed medical program because there's no interstate commerce involved. Therefore, there is no impact on the federal government. And the Supreme Court in that case, and it was the liberals on the court, um, it was six liberals and, uh, and, and, and Scalia, um, or, or five liberals in Scalia, I should say, um, or was it four, I guess four plus, no, it was four liberals, Rehnquist and Scalia um, at the time uh, ruled that- Sounds like
0: a bad joke.
3: Yeah, I know. Seriously, Uh, all all ruled at the time that the federal government does have an impact because somehow somebody growing a small amount of cannabis in their garden could impact the price of cannabis on the illegal market, which has an impact on interstate commerce. Therefore, the federal government has a role to play if they want to enforce the Controlled Substances Act against state state legal
0: medical marijuana patients. Um, And this is why I am in public relations and not an attorney. (laughs)
3: i'm not either but (laughs) but i followed this i followed that stuff pretty closely i was actually at that argument at the supreme court um that's cool oh no no yeah yes yeah um that was back when i still back when i was working at normal
1: um so i I guess it still remains to be seen what's going to happen with safe banking but um you know phil in terms of phil why can't companies raise money
2: (laughs) 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 <laughs> Is this a hotels.com commercial? Captain Obvious.
0: Um <laughs> there's so many <laughs> funds out there. The, these are the dad jokes, people. These are the dad jokes.
2: Um it, it's there's not enough institutions putting money to work. Everybody everybody's already exhausted. You know, there's a ton of debt that's being pushed around and refinanced and but some of these terms are just beyond ridiculous. There was a deal that, you know, there's there like some of these deals that are getting done over the past couple weeks have just been, haven't been great, but, you know, the companies have to do it in order to survive. So it's, you're not going to see anything until you get a lot of these bigger funds that come in here and start putting money to work. But, you know, like even the little, the littlest Like when people start getting a little bit of hope, these things move. Like GTI went from like seven to fifteen, and it's like some of these other guys—they're just—and then—and then then you see like safe as not included in these past bills, and it's these things are back. You know, some of them are under two bucks, and it's—it's like. Not nothing makes sense anymore. What's okay.
3: the trading? I mean, the trading volume is so low on these. On, on all, even the big companies, right? The trading volume is so low relative to most stocks that um, you know, just like a, a a bit of you know, a bit of activity can can really move the needle in in, in you
2: know, in, in, in either direction. Small days where you see like a hundred thousand shares or whatever, fifty-five thousand shares. Those are just like retail guys going, forget it, tax law selling. Here we go.
0: Get rid of this, and you know that's what that's what it well, is right now. And I look at you know if you look at the stock charts for most of these companies, there are moments of of spikes, but for the most part, it's just this slow, gradual decline in share price. And you know, I look at Chris, your old company, Forefront, of which I'm an early investor, and I'm not ever going to sell my shares because I know that eventually. Something is going to happen and this company is going to be worth a ton of money, right? Because it, it your, operates from your, well. From your mouth, huh? <laughs> but I believe it, right? It's like I still – if, if – if, it's not like Forefront is going away, right? It's not like Cresco is going away. It's not like GTI or Cureleaf is going away. They just continue to sell and become more efficient at growing, processing, and selling cannabis. And, you know – Either they're going to, we're going to see a change at the federal level and 280E will go away in some form, fashion, or another. And then these companies will just be printing money and either they will buy up others, merge with others, or be purchased by a CPG company, or we're, they're just going to keep slogging along. But yeah. it's not slogging along when you're doing 300, 500 million dollars a quarter. Right, but they're not making any money because of 280e, and that's why you know safe is great. 280 is needed. As soon as that 300 to 500 million dollars becomes five to seven x, that's what happens. Yeah. Well, yes. some
3: of them aren't making any money because of 280e. Some aren't making any any money because they're not good operators. And that's yes. like that's that's where the shakeout is gonna is gonna you, come. You want to name somebody go- who's
0: a shitty operator?
3: No. <laughs> um no no my my my, my unfortunately doing that I mean you know, I'm like CNBC here if I if I say something right it's going to shake the stocks too much I don't want to take that risk. Uh, but, no but like I think when it comes down to it Lewis you're absolutely right it's these are all you need to think about all these as as long term holds right cuz like we still have a lot of states left to go to legalize. We still have major federal reforms on uh, on the horizon, right? Whether it's the you know short term horizon or long term horizon between banking and 280e and eventual descheduling, like all this is going to happen, right? Cannabis is going to become legal at the federal level at some point, point. Um, and so they're all longer term holds. I think you need to really think about who are the good operators because those are the ones that are going to survive, especially over the next few years. Because what we're seeing now is massive price compression in almost every state around the country, right? And we're seeing it like Massachusetts has been the, you know, has been the like, oh my God, what's going on here state for the last year? Well, what's going on there is the same thing that happened in Michigan the year before and that happened in Washington and Oregon and California before that, um, right? Every state that doesn't have a, you know, an artificially restricted, like oligopoly limited license market, right? Is seeing price compression because that's what happens when uh, you have oversupply or when or when when you, when you have a basically a free market market economy where people are allowed to grow as much as they want to grow. It brings the cost down. And I think a lot of these because because these public companies are largely, uh, you know, they're largely bigger companies in the space, but they largely almost all of them, cut their teeth in the limited license states, right? Because those were the states that the early capital markets cared about, right? They wanted to see licenses in Florida and New York and Illinois and Pennsylvania and Maryland, right? All in the Eastern half of the country that all were limited. And all these states are now shifting from limited to unlimited as they go from medical to to adult use. A lot of these companies haven't had to really focus their attention on running highly efficient operations. Right. And when you're in a competitive market where you actually have to compete in the marketplace and not just have this siloed protected license, you need to be a good operator. You need to end or you need to be a highly efficient operator. And that's not been where the focus of a lot of the MSOs has been. And I think that's where you're going to see that's where you're going to see the companies get separated over the next couple of years, because they're not if they're not able to be if they're not if, if their stock prices aren't being driven by changes in federal law or perceived changes in federal law, which is largely where most of this comes from, they're going to be judged on their business fundamentals. And if they're going to succeed there, they need to be able to survive in competitive markets. And that's going to separate out the, you know, the real operators from the license aggregators.
2: What about
0: Canada? Oh, they're what about all Canada?
3: <laughs> <laughs> they're all screwed. <laughs> there's, there's no more, there's no, there's no big changes on the horizon there. Like that, that program's baked.
0: Uh, it's and it's such a shame, it really is. It was always a sham. There's 17 million people, or No, I'm sorry. It's th- I'm sorry. It's 34 million people live in Canada, right? It, it, it's it's never been a market that's big enough to sustain any of these companies, and their valuations were absurd, absolutely absurd.
2: Yeah, but the, some of these guys are still getting backing, even though you're starting to see, which I I think we're going to talk about, or we can just roll into it now, Anne. Yeah, do it. Going on up there, like Molson is basically walked away from Hexel. Constellation basically said, Canopy, go do your thing. We're going to take a hands-off approach. And now Canopy has that Canopy USA where they're rolling acreage, Juana, and is jet, Jetty extracts are all being rolled into that, so it's like these bigger guys. You know, did they? It was a false start from them, right? Is like it too,
1: they, or is it, or is it just too too early? Those deals would have been much better ten years from now. I,
2: I think they were all. It, there was so much buzz going on back then when those deals were happening. Like you thought stuff would, you thought <laughs> stuff was in it, right? Like. Lou, you we were telling people 2021, 2022 would be illegal. I remember talking (gasps) with George.
0: No, we were talk. We would talk with Kevin Murphy and George Allen. We would talk with Boris Jordan. Like everybody who was in the know, were telling us this is what we're hearing, right? And you know, remember George brought uh, John Boehner to the party and this was just after John Boehner had left being Speaker of the House yeah I think there was this intention this thought that this was going to be like the toothpaste is out of the tube the horse is out of the barn you know whatever it is any bad analogy you want to use and the reality is this is so much harder on the federal level than anybody anticipated and also than it needs to be like the little guy just trying to get in here and, you know, it's, it's not easy. But Chris, you mentioned a good
2: point earlier about like the FDA and like, let's not even go there. But there was a <laughs> line of ours that we worked with where they were telling us, listen, in five to 10 years, you're going to be buying your cannabis from CBS. And I was like, okay,
3: maybe, maybe. I mean, we don't buy, you know, very few places do you buy your booze from CBS, I'm sure right. some some states allow some California allow it. you do yeah California really? but most, states, most states you can't um, so I think it's a bit like we're talking now about like what is what is the retail model for cannabis ultimately look like and I think much like alcohol it's going to be very state dependent right? I mean every state has a different alcohol distribution model some places you can sell it in supermarkets the CVSs. some places you can sell it only in liquor stores some places you can sell it only state run package stores or or or, or specific state licensed package stores the packies right
2: Um <laughs> the licenses then. What's that? What happens to the social equity licenses.
3: Well, I think each each state is going to come up with their own, you know, with their own distribution model, retail distribution model, and I think the path of least resistance for most states is just to continue with the retail model that they already have. So, if they've licensed, if they've licensed dispensaries, why then? all of a sudden open it up to everybody else, they're going to be comfortable regulating those dispensaries. Now some States will, I'm not saying every state that has a dispensary model is just going to keep it and not allow it to go to convenience stores. Some States probably will, particularly States that have stronger convenience store lobbies than, than others. And and that's a pretty actually strangely powerful lobby in some places. Um, but others, I think, are going to take the path of least resistance and say, we've already got a model here. Why are we going to reinvent the wheel? We license light liquor stores. We license weed stores now. And, and that's, you know, and so I, I think it's going to look similar to alcohol, where it's, it's going to be different from state to state. Um, but we've already got the model and the basis there that I think most states are probably just going to continue on with.
0: And Adam Smith's head just blew up. When was the last time you were in New York City?
3: Oh, I was, I've been there a few times this year. and the, the I mean, It's wild what's going on in
2: in, in Manhattan right now. Absolutely. So it was my wife's birthday over the weekend. She had a few girlfriends in from out of town. We ended up going into the city and um, I walked into a dispensary and they had a ton of brands from Southern California. And I'm like, oh yeah, where did you guys get this? Oh, we have a connection with a guy and the owner who owns this place. I'm like, and again, how do you have Southern California brands here in your store? Well, because they're because they're probably counterfeit.
3: Um, like there, there. There's a real question about how much of that is actually coming from California, because obviously I've, I've seen it too. I mean, you go by these storefronts, and there's Stizzy, and there's you know brass knuckles, and there's all these you know all, uh, you know, all, all these uh, California brands out there. Um, they like Stizzy's like everywhere. There's there's a there's a real question oh, about I how much of that is real. coming. I bet that's real. Maybe, but. I would guess that most of it is just counterfeit. It's counterfeit packaging. It's not hard to counterfeit the packaging, unfortunately. Um, And we know that's been a big issue on the illicit market in New York for a long time, um, where, you know, most of those like vape carts that people were getting the, you know, the the vape lung from a few years ago, that was all from illicit market uh, produced vape cartridges. And almost all of those came in packages of brands that people would know from California. They just were produced in the East Coast and put in fake packaging. And people in the East Coast don't know any better, right? Because they're not getting... real packaging on a regular basis in california and this looks real enough and my guess is, my guess is if if, if 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 there was any way to actually survey it like 80 to 90 percent of that stuff is just counterfeit and not
2: shipped in from cali yep interesting
1: so,
2: so how much did you buy phil <laughs> 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 don't buy don't buy the I hope i hope no vape carts though no 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 okay good <laughs> so we are this is a zoom and if i said 300
1: <laughs> okay <laughs>
2: 300 dollars um
1: so you know we kind of touched on on a and um the shakeout of the good operators and the you know the acquiring you know companies for parts um you see how much of that do you see on the horizon like, th- does anyone even have the means to buy anybody else?
3: Well, that's part of the but, well, that's part of the challenge. I mean, M&A activity in the space right now is pretty slow um because I mean, nobody's got cash and um and and nobody wants and to spend. And their stocks worth-
1: were
3: Yeah, they don't yeah, want to spend. They and, don't, don't sp- want Yeah, they paper. don't want to well, and they don't want, and the companies don't want to spend their paper because it's too dilutive, um, right? Uh, and 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 I think I mean, look, I I you know I, I do some work on the M and A side of things. I've actually told clients like, hey, now would be a great time to take paper in, a, in an M and A transaction, right? Because these stocks are as low as, as low as they've been, or there's a good chance you're going to see a, a a multiple return on the paper if you take some now. Whereas you know, a year and a half ago, I would have said like just just go for cash. But um, but companies don't want to spend it, understandably, because um, it's it's.
2: it's paper though there are
3: some of these ones that you've seen same same thing i said before right it all depends on the company like how good of an operator are they and how are they going to be able to survive the next couple years um i do think if we don't get some meaningful reform including banking you're going to see some name brand companies that don't make it through the next couple years um that will likely get sold off for parts um but you know there are there is still money out there um and there are companies that have access to it and when they see large distressed assets um, that they can pick off for, you know, 20 cents on the dollar, the the money's going to be there, right? The investment capital is going to be there for those deals. And I think we're going to, I think you're probably going to see more of that, especially in an environment where these businesses can't file for federal bankruptcy protection. So if they go to zero, they got to sell for parts and the buyers are going to have all the leverage in those, in those negotiations. And there's going to be investors that have, you know, bought into these companies that are willing to put in a little bit more to buy some distressed assets and grow their portfolios.
2: You know, some of the investors that I've been talking with, they were saying that if safe passed, you would see a ton of m a in 2023. I think it's going to have the same effect, you know, if it doesn't pass, like there's going to be the guys that have all that dry powder, like you said, they're going to be able to come up here and just have their, have their pick. Yep. Absolutely. All these distressed assets.
1: Chris, you've mentioned, um, you know, a couple of times now, um, the benefit of, of good operations of efficient operators. Um, if I'm a retail investor, what am I looking for to find the good operator?
3: It's a great question. Um, I think, you know, you're looking at what's the, like, what are their, what are their, like, what are their, particularly on the cultivation side, right? What are their cultivation um, uh, 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 metrics look like right. What is like what? How many how many you know pounds per square foot are they getting? What's their price per like uh, cultivation price per pound um, in these facilities? Um, same thing on the uh, like what, what you know what if they're if they're an infused products manufacturer like what is their price per unit for a gummy uh, for you know to produce a box of gummies um, and what are they able to sell that for the wholesale market? Right, you want to look at these basic basic metrics and their ability and and that tell you their ability to compete in a, um, you know, in, in a, in a more competitive and saturated market.
1: So let's, you know, in the time that we have remaining, um, another trend in 2022 was this podcast, especially, um, talking more about psychedelics and companies and researchers in that space. So, um, I'd like to, to pivot there, Lewis, what, what was the most exciting psychedelic story for you this year?
0: The continued publication of data on the efficacy of psychedelics as medicine, right? We, we saw so many pieces of data from so many different companies that continue to show that when used in a therapeutic setting, psychedelics really do help patients get better you know starting with maps and their their phase 3 data at the beginning of the year we saw data from awaken on the the treatment of alcohol use disorder small pharma published data like it was just one after another after another and the other side of that was the the fundamental not caring of the capital markets, right? Like we had this continued march forward of like we were getting closer and closer to the commercialization. It was more than
1: not caring though. It was like like they're just pulling their money, or they're not they're not investing. You know, psychedelics is suffering from the same thing that cannabis is and the lack of capital. So it's less apathetic than that. It feels more active.
0: I, the my take is that. Too many of these small drug development companies went public on secondary and tertiary markets in secondary and tertiary countries, raising just a little bit of money, you know, 15, 20, $30 million so that they could get through their phase one tests and trials, knowing that they were going to have to raise... Tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars to get through phase two and phase three. You don't do that in Canada. You don't do that in Australia. You don't do that in, in the UK. It's not how a pharmaceutical company is built. You raise privately. You go public on the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange, but usually the NASDAQ, when you have really solid phase one or phase two A data. These guys all got suckered by the same bankers who suckered a lot of the cannabis companies because the bankers saw an opportunity. Bums me out. And, you know, we as an agency counseled these companies not to do that. You know, and we're seeing, especially in the clinics business, the same type of impact from uh, a... a uh, cash flow perspective, a customer acquisition and retention perspective that the cannabis industries had, and there is no overlap between cannabis and psychedelics. They are two fundamentally different businesses. One is a medical business, and one is a consumer packaged goods business. So that, w- for me, that was my take, which was we're getting, we're just on the verge of providing help to people who have mental health problems with a real medical solution. And the capital markets is screwing them over left, right, and center.
2: Well, there are companies out there using certain cannabinoids to treat certain illnesses and diseases. So I wouldn't say cannabis is a straight CPG play, but I see where you're coming from. I'm not going to argue against it, even though That's I can't. first.
0: And just, I, I mean, want to point out that this is the first year that, that Phil and I have split jets and Buffalo games. Cause it's always Buffalo beating the jets. So <laughs> that's
3: right. That's right. Um, I'm
2: with, I'm with you on this one, Lewis. They're actually asking fans who are attending the game on Saturday night against the dolphins to bring a shovel with you so that you can shovel your shovel your car out. Cause it's both are they're, they're expecting anywhere from seven inches to three feet wow That's New York well,
1: since this since <laughs> this conversation is pivoted <laughs> I want to go quickly uh around the room and just see um what are you hopeful for in 2023
2: I'll start Great. Say, say thank you I'm just kidding um <laughs> I, it, I there has to be a bottoming out here um of stocks, right? Like these things can't, it's just, there's too much of an opportunity, too much of of an upside here that, you know, how low can these things go? Right. So I'm waiting for that bottom. We could possibly be there, but it might be a tough road. It's, it's going to be a tough road in 2023, but there's going to be opportunities for those that are performing, that are executing on their business strategy. And, you know, that, Know what they're doing; those are going to be the guys that will win out in the end, and let's see how it plays out.
0: I guess. Lou, uh, I have a lot of hope for um, for twenty twenty three on two sides. the The reality is, we will most probably see MDMA-assisted psychotherapy approved by the FDA, so we will have the first psychedelic drug. Officially approved by the FDA to treat a a disorder of the DSM, which is just monstrous for anything and everything. It's huge for patients. It's huge for the industry. It also will force the government to take a look at all drugs completely differently because the the definition of a schedule one drug is it has no medical benefit. And as soon as the FDA approves this drug saying it does have medical benefit, it changes the entire conversation about cannabis, about psilocybin, everything. And it will force to the point of crisis a lot of this stuff, which means that 2024 could be legislatively a massive moment for for the country Um, and Phil I do think we're at a bottom for these stocks you know we are seeing um, indications from the Fed of a slowdown of the increasing rates for lending and if it just flattens it will make it easier to project uh, revenues and we're gonna see more states come online and I, I'm like I'm as hopeful for both the psychedelic industry and the cannabis industry as I have ever been. I am I'm excited for this coming year. Chris, what do you think? I'm hopeful that the Mets win the World
3: Series in 2023.
0: <laughs> Amen, brother. I uh, hey. would make <laughs> my <Amen>. life easy. <laughs> there
3: you go. I'm a little a little, little less so in cannabis right now, but uh, very hopeful for the future of the uh, the New York Metropolitans. Um, I, I think on the they're uh, certainly I
1: think, paying for it.
3: <laughs> that's hey, I I will gladly spend as much of Steve Cohen's money as uh, <laughs> exactly. as, as he will, as he will allow. I have no problem with him spending his not mine, right? Doesn't, doesn't impact my bottom line. Um, just my just my happiness on a day to day basis watching a watching a team that might actually win something. Um, so I know that's I know that I mean I know like I know that's what everybody tuned in for. But I'll get back to cannabis here. Um, I, I I'm. I'm a little less hopeful that we've hit the bottom on the stocks. Um, I well, I hope we have, but I'm, I still think there's, I mean, when, I, when people say that we've hit, you know, that, that they, these can't go any lower and that we've bottomed out, like, I don't think that's true. There's still, there's still like the bottom's still pretty far down there. If the, you know, if things were to go really badly, what I am hope, but I, but I am hopeful that we're going to see a somewhat of a return to normalcy over the next couple of years or the next year in particular, uh, when it comes to the performance of these cannabis companies. And I hope that the attention and the evaluation of these companies on business fundamentals is going to lead to a a right sizing of the stocks isn't the right way to put it, but, um, but a more but but to put these into more of just of a proper evaluation right I mean so much has been driven by factors that have nothing to do with the performance of these companies um and I hope that as we move on from the banking discussion and and I mean I, I I'm still hopeful that we can get this done whether it's in the next two weeks or in the next year um, uh, that, uh, that, that, that this industry will start to be evaluated more like other industries and less on speculation over future regulatory or legal changes or legislative changes or even speculation over who's likely to win this market or that market and actually be judged on how they're doing. Um, and I am weirdly hopeful about the prospect of some And I will say this, uh, this is not a prediction by any means. And if I had to predict, I would say this isn't going to happen. But I am strangely hopeful about the prospect politically of some kind of deal in the next Congress. I think there there are enough Republican members of Congress, particularly the younger Republican members of Congress that actually care about this and want to get it done and that understand the political benefit to whichever party winds up being seen as the one that advances the ball on this issue. Um, And there are so few issues out there that I can see um, that the parties can find any kind of bipartisan consensus on in this upcoming divided government that like maybe there's a maybe there's a there's a path right to something, whether it's banking, if we don't get it done in the lame duck or some other kind of cannabis reform in the next Congress, um, that, you know, maybe could provide a very tiny glimmer of hope to the entire country, uh, that, um, that, that we can get something done in a bipartisan fashion.
0: You know, Chris, you, I'm uh, surprised you didn't mention you didn't talk a little bit about your thoughts for fuck termites. Yes. Um, <laughs> my thoughts for <were> fuck termites. <laughs> for th- yeah. No, on on, 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 maps and psychedelics. Cause I, I, you know, what happens? What happens when the FDA approves MDMA? What does that mean for cannabis? Uh, probably nothing
3: for cannabis. Um, it's so different, right? It's an, FDA, like there, there, it's, an F, it's an FDA approval process for a prescription pharmaceutical, which is just not the path that cannabis is going down. So I actually don't think it really has any impact on cannabis. I do think that it has the potential to have the potential to like completely change the field of um, of, of like mental health treatment. Um, and that, that like, I, I'm, I'm, we talk about hopeful. And I think this is mu- much longer than the next year, but I am really hopeful about the promise of psychedelic therapy, um, for, you know, obviously things like PTSD and, um, you know, and trauma. And, 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 I mean, even, I mean, you look at what like it, people forget what MDMA was originally used for. Um, it was originally a prescription for marriage counseling, um, which, like, for anybody who's used it, makes all the sense in the world, um, right? I mean, people can, you know, we can kind of giggle the love about jazz. that. It's, but it's not just the love joke. The original street name for ecstasy was empathy, which is really much more of an appropriate name than ecstasy. People started calling it ecstasy when they realized that, like, it made techno music sound good. Um, <laughs> Right. But like, uh, but, but it was, but it was, but it was originally called empathy because you, you, what uh, the way that I like to describe it. And, and I, like, this is not my sector, but uh, I have a little bit of experience with this is it breaks down the natural barriers that we all have. And we have to have right to protect ourselves in society from being too open, right. And too empathetic, right. Because you get taken, people get taken advantage of, right. You become a mark. Um, but if you're, take, if you take an MDMA with somebody else, like you are going to connect with that person on an emotional level and not in the like stereotypical, Oh, I love you, man. Like that, not that kind of stuff. Right. But like, you're probably going to talk about something that's pretty deep and pretty important. And you're able to do it in a way that breaks down those guardrails. Right. And so if you think about marriage counseling, like People are married, there's love there, right? There's there's an underlying love that that exists between them. And and in many cases, a marriage breaks down because of an inability to communicate about the things that are bothering them. And when somebody starts to communicate, it just turns into a fight. And if two people are, are, are using MDMA, they're going to hear the other's perspective in a non-defensive way for the first time in a long time. And that can really help lead to breakthroughs. It's the same reason why it's so effective for the treatment of PTSD is they can, they can revisit the underlying traumatic event, uh, right. Without it triggering
0: the trauma all over again.
3: Um, and, I, and so I, it, I just yeah. want to
0: say, I mean, I hear what everything I, I agree with everything you're saying, and I'm literally thinking about it from a purely uh practical perspective. Once the FDA approves MDMA as a as a therapeutic, doesn't that fundamentally invalidate the whole thesis of the Controlled Substance Act?
3: I don't think so. I mean it should, but I I I I don't I don't I don't I don't see that happening. I think they just reschedule it. And we've had, you know, CBD was rescheduled, drugs have been rescheduled. Um, it, it may be maybe it causes some to make the argument that well look if we've rescheduled MDMA we have to do this with cannabis perhaps right and 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 if this if this happens while the federal government is going through their scheduling review on cannabis maybe that has an impact in that way right because that that may be factored into their evaluation but i just think politicians in particular have such a such an ability to silo out these things that, like, I, I don't know how much one end, ultimately ends up impacting the other. Oh,
0: I don't know. I think there i mean, again, not an attorney, um, so I don't know if this is actually accurate. My thinking is it the, the basic thesis of the Controlled Substance Act said that these drugs have no medical value, and they lumped all of the drugs under this uh, rubric— And that once one has been deemed to have no medical value, could we not see somebody sue the federal government saying this was an illegal, unconstitutional law and that all of these drugs need to be immediately reevaluated?
3: Yeah, I don't. I, it doesn't work that way. You have to take them on a drug by drug basis. And the, the, the federal government the but- Act works. Oh, no, okay. but, they, but each but each each one is evaluated on its own merits. And so just because what, what the government will say is, well, yeah, we the FDA did a multi-year study and they determined that MDA has medical value. So it's got to be moved. That doesn't then apply to anything else. You need to prove it with these other drugs, too. The federal government's been sued multiple times. Uh, about marijuana's classification in Schedule 1. And every time the DEA's administrative law judges, this has happened three times now, has ruled that marijuana is improperly classified in schedule one and has medicinal value and should be moved. And the DEA and Congress has done nothing, right? Because those rulings, unfortunately the, the mechanism to sue here, those rulings have no weight behind them. The DEA, the DEA or Congress needs to then follow those rulings and implement them. And they've categorically refused. I mean, the first time it happened in 1988, Judge Francis Young ruled that marijuana is the safest therapeutically active substance known to man. That's a direct quote from the DEA's own administrative law judge and they just flat out ignored the ruling and left it in schedule 1 right and that was that was that was 1988 uh, after when joe a 16 biden ran shoot. for
0: president for the first time when joe time.
3: biden ran for exactly that's yes
0: that's for that's, it that's it right that's the that's, that's that's how long ago this was right yes so all right well you know i'm not going to fix anything here and i'm okay with that all right so what are your so with that and you've heard all of this stuff
1: well, you, you, yeah, I know you, you stole my, my prediction for MDMA and, um, the second phase three MAP study, um, coming out. I think, um, you know, so, uh, specifically working with them and, you know, talking to some of these patients, um, has been just such a transformative experience for me this year, um, or maybe the last two years. And, um, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm excited for, for what's to come there. Um, as much of a, as much of a shit show as it's going to be in, you know, just in general. Um, I think it's just a net positive. And then for cannabis, I'm going to go, I'm going to be go smaller and say, I'm excited for like the Midwest. We have a client called Greenlight. Uh, we've had them on John, John Mueller before, um, you know, talking about, uh, Missouri and, uh, their, their flip to, to adult use. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm super excited for them. I think that like it's been one of those kind of forgotten States and, um, you know, I it's, it's, there's a lot of people there. So, um, 6 million people, I think. So, uh, that's like what a quarter of the size of Canada. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know, I'm excited for, for the States that it wasn't there for them before. And, and now they've got options.
0: That's it. That's cool.
1: Our eternal thanks for joining us for this episode and for all of our episodes this year, we hope we have both informed and entertained you about the cannabis and psychedelics industries we hope that you have a great, happy, healthy, and fun new year, and we will see you in 2023. Please, if you haven't already, check out our Instagram at the Rush underscore podcast and on Twitter at the underscore greenrush. And feel free to email us comments and guest ideas at greenrush at kcsa.com. One take Shay, one take. Merry Christmas.